Welcome to the Hotspot. I'm your host, Armandez Fuliarjamandi. Today, we have returning guests Boris Rensky from FreedomFi and Abai Kumar from Nova Labs. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably been wondering, what the heck is going on with Helium 5G? Maybe I purchased a miner, or maybe I'm sitting on the sidelines waiting to figure out when I can actually earn something from deploying a miner. And, you know, there just hasn't been a lot of updates recently. So I sat down with Boris and Abai, who were very gracious to share their time with me. And they went into immense detail about what exactly is the current state of earning on Helium 5G. Now, it's clear to me from talking to them that there's a lot of work to be done. This isn't something simple like just flipping a switch and someone's delaying for no reason. There's a lot of complex integration work that has to happen with carriers. And also the scalability of the Helium blockchain itself needs to be improved in order to get some of this stuff to work. So I really appreciate them for joining and explaining with such openness what exactly is going on and what stage of progress we're at. I think that everyone will be very satisfied to hear uh, the type of work that's being put in and the seriousness of the complexity of these things. More than anything, I was just really excited to get an update on how soon everything could possibly happen. So here's my interview with Boris and Abai. I hope that you will enjoy it and learn just as much as I did. Abai, Boris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Armand. Thanks, Armand. Good to be back. My second time back. <laughs> yeah, for both of you. So the community has been very curious about what's going on on the 5G side of things. Of course, there's been tremendous growth on the LoRaWAN side of Helium. There's been a lot of news lately, but not a lot of it is about 5G. In case anyone is not up to date, one really important piece of news is that Helium Inc. is now Nova Labs and that DY is now the Helium Foundation. So Abai is now a Nova Labs employee, not a Helium Inc. employee. And right. from my understanding, this was done mostly to clear up confusion around the fact that there is a centralized entity that is doing the software work, and then there is a decentralized blockchain, and those are not the same thing. Uh, Abai, could you just like riff for 30 seconds on that detail right there? For sure. As the community has grown, the sort of it, a natural like, kind of confusion has happened, right? Like, so, okay, what is Helium? Is it all of us? Are we the people's network? Do we own this Helium name? Is it this, this Helium Systems Inc. team, the, the folks that started the network and built the first hotspot? Is it the token? Is it the foundation? But like, who, who really, like, who really should own that name? has been a thing that a lot of people have asked. And, and then also when it comes to responsibility, it's always like helium should fix this uh, or helium should build this. So it's a fair question, right? If you're new to the community, you don't know who to ask. So I think it's just important to have better naming for things, right? HNT is the helium network token and has always been. The helium foundation is the foundation that is responsible for the governance of the network. And then what is this Inc team, this incorporated team like? do and what do we call ourselves we, we actually thought it made sense to give up the name to the community um, and couldn't just call ourselves something different like we we're it was easier for us to move away from the name still do all the things that we're doing but just give up the name then for the community to have to change its name that, that seems way worse and that's would you remove 45 50 people or do you want to move 200,000 wallet addresses and, and 800,000 hotspots right like obviously the, the we should be the ones that do the work to move and so that that's really the like ultimately the reason for the name change it really was about clarity and we just wanted to we thought it was the right time to do that that's great i think the new sort of separation of concerns certainly is a lot clearer and of course the helium foundation is a great name for the nonprofit that is organizing activity around the network so love to see that 
So let's get to 5G. I know there have been many questions asked in, in both of your directions and the directions of Nova staff members and Freedom5 staff members. And I've gotten a lot of questions myself. I know things have been really busy. There is a lot going on behind the scenes, but I'd love to help people just understand exactly what is going on behind the scenes and what are the latest developments. If people aren't aware, 5G is live on the Helium network, as in you can add and onboard a 5G miner. However, you cannot earn HNT or any sort of you know cryptocurrency rewards for deploying 5G hotspots and actually offering 5G service beyond the fact that some 5G hotspots are also LoRaWAN hotspots and happen to earn HNT from LoRaWAN activities. Uh, Abai, what is the latest state of 5G development on the Nova Lab side of things? Yeah, I can maybe we can go back to the the demo that Joey from the Freedom Fight team did almost over a year ago at this point. You know, what he showed us in that YouTube video, and, and maybe you can link to this in, in the show notes, is uh, FreedomFi, prototype FreedomFi hotspot on the testnet, on the HNT testnet, on the TNT testnet, I guess, opening and closing a state channel and transferring data. And that was a, that was a, a sort of thing that we mocked up, put it together, and that was our kickoff. Like, we wanted to show that you could use Helium state channels to, to sort of account for the data that's transferring on the network, uh, on a 5G network. And since then... The, our, our sort of blockchain engineering team has been supporting the FreedomFi team um, to actually bringing this to mainnet. And, and I think maybe Boris can talk a little bit about how, what that you know really means. It's not just about opening and closing a state channel, but it's also about integrating with an actual carrier that would be buying those packets. I don't know, maybe that's a good handoff to Boris. So basically, the work that we've been doing, I think, goes across three buckets. The first bucket is around certifying third-party small cell manufacturers to become plug-and-play with the gateways that we started shipping. There is a tremendous amount of stuff that actually happens behind the scenes for anybody to be able to simply like plug in a small cell and like power it up and get it to get the uh, Spectrum grant from SAS and start broadcasting, just continuously stay online. To give people a sense for the degree of complexity there, I think that the very first time at Freedom Fire about two years ago, when we stood up the uh, very first CBRS small cell, it took probably a week of uh, engineering teamwork to just stand up one. So at this point, we've been able to automate a lot of this away. Moreover, we have certified two distinct vendors to be plug and play with the gateways. Second bucket is what Abai started talking about a little bit that we've briefly demoed a year. And this is about effectively building a bridge between how the blockchain tends to account for data transfer and Helium blockchain in particular, and bridging that to how these types of things are typically done in a service provider space where they're used to a very specific procedure where there is a third party of a settlement entity called a clearinghouse that generally exports the data to the service provider in a very prescriptive set of outputs referred to as tap records that have been blessed by standards bodies like a GSMA. And this bridge is something that I think I mentioned before. This is called the cellular settlement service. It took us a couple of weeks to hack together a demo that actually shows how that works. 
but to make that thing work in a distributed blockchain friendly way is quite complex. And I think that we are roughly a month away from it actually really working to the point where we can start considering moving it to the mainnet. And third, very important is a number of integrations that are ongoing with the uh, roaming partners. So we did the one kind of that went live very quickly with GigSky that we've announced shortly after we've launched. It was easy to work with GigSky because they are relatively small MVNL and they're able to move quickly and cut corners. But we, you know, have an ongoing integration with Dish, which we've publicly talked about as well as a number of other larger operators. And all of these guys, they tend to move at like snail pace and doing everything with them basically sinks a lot of cycles. But all of these three directions are proceeding. The first bucket with small cells, like you can see the results. We have small cells working. There's people deploying outdoor small cells now. The second one, somewhat invisible, it is converging and is going to come online given that we are through the uh, discussions with the hips and the third one's moving along as well. And we're going to be making some announcements about that in the coming months. So that's like an overall summary can go deeper into any one of those areas. Yeah, there are <clears throat> clearly a lot of different things that you guys are, are, you're basically walking and chewing gum at the same time. I think one that's particularly interesting to me, and I think the community would find interesting is the settlement service. What really does it take to bridge these payments that are happening on the provider side, from my understanding, to the Helium blockchain? And who's paying who? Is there a centralized server that, that maybe provider servers have to talk to? Or is this being done in a maybe even more decentralized way, maybe decentralizing later as opposed to sooner? What exactly does that take? Yeah, basically, uh, the way this works is we, and by we, most likely, uh, Freedom Fi or maybe is going to be a Nova Labs will effectively have to run like a service that will pre-burn HNT into data credits and will maintain this pool of data credits and map that pool in a particular way against a certain data allowance for each third-party service provider that is roaming into the network. This function Initially, it's just the way we built it as we're doing it, but technically this function can very well also be moved over to the service provider themselves. It's just that if you are a service provider, then doing weird stuff like burning tokens into data credits is like extremely alien, right? So like it, just you're used to operating with like standard contracts, CDRs, tap records that summarize the data usage. And this part is like just completely alien to you. This service will sit in the middle and will maintain sort of these uh, allowances of how much data a particular service provider can run through the network in the form of like data credit allowances. And will keep track of what service provider is using like what data. Now, whenever a SIM, let's say, I don't know, a, a DISH SIM or a GigSky SIM tries to uh, connect to the network, the bucket that's allotted to that particular service provider effectively will be debited a certain amount of data credits 
And then the person that's operating the hotspot will get the appropriate amount of credited to them or earned into like their wallet. And that's just a general flow. But then for the money to come into the network at the end of each reconciliation period, which typically like in the most service provider world, it's about 30 days with export, like a summary, it's like a, it's called a tap record, T-A-P. I don't remember what it stands for. It's like some telco, you know, GSMA approved abbreviation, but in a nutshell, it's basically, it, it details which SIM card used how much data at what location at what time and gives like a very granular detail. So we'd export that data to the basically third party entity that sits between us and the service provider. It's called the clearing house. That's generally how the settlement's done between the operators. And the clearing house will basically read through it. And then they also receive the same similar tap record file from the service provider that shows how much data they've mm. actually procured from us, from like the other intermediary. And then they do this reconciliation and they serve as this like objective third party that they charge a fee for, and then they bless it. Right now, a lot of it is automated and very small percentage of it is done generally manually. And within a few days of both parties sharing the tap records with the, this kind of reconciling entity called the clearinghouse, they say, okay, so here's the official blessing. How much money does Geek Sky or Dish now need to pay back? to FreedomFi or Nova to compensate them for all of the HNT that they had to burn to create the data credits for them to use. And that's generally how the flow is going to work initially, right? Going forward in a Nirvana world, we're hoping that this role that FreedomFi would perform or Nova would perform would actually be performed by the operator themselves. And I think it's realistic to expect when it comes to a smaller MVNOs that are more like agile, but when it comes to the bigger operators, they just expect send tip records to my clearinghouse and that's how I operate <laughs> and changing it is two years of process. So maybe too much information wow. for the healing. <laughs> no, that <laughs> is, that's really incredible. Go ahead. Abai. I think this is the level of detail that the community cares about. I, I think it's great. Ultimately, I see this a lot like what Helium as a network, like what, the kinds of things we had to do earlier on with LoRaWeb, right? We don't have folks buying HNT to burn into data credits to open and close state channels to have your GPS sensor work, right? That's not what people are doing. So instead, the now named Nova team, like we, we built console and we, we allowed you to add your devices to it. And we allowed you to sort of, we used our pool of HNT that we had that we burned into data credits on your behalf. And ultimately you just use your credit card and you know, we had an integration with the credit card processor. And that's like what you'd expect MVNOs and MNOs to really want as well. But they want to have a, an SLA and a, and a post-billing relationship with our network. And so since there isn't a single entity for the network, you need to have entities like FreedomFi and Nova Labs and, and others, right? Like other folks as well, like doing the sort of state channel management and the CDR, like the, uh, the, the tap record generation, and then all those kinds of, all those kinds of things. That's what they expect. And eventually I think this is like the slowly then suddenly thing of all of crypto, right? Like eventually they'll come around and they'll actually start to interact directly on the network. We now have lower end side in the last two and a half years, like we now have 20 plus, like these are, you know, non Nova Labs Inc entities that are actually opening and closing state channels today. And I think 
my 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 obviously optimistic and biased <laughs> view on this is that I believe that MNOs and MNOs will come around too. It'll just take time, and we'll have to show value through the size of the network that's available to them. And one thing I wanted to add to this is that it's seemingly this like crazy, incredible amount of work to build this just the cellular settlement service, and like the natural question that I think some people in the Helium community can ask is like, why are you bothering with all of this stuff? Why are you <laughs> dealing with the service providers that are these dinosaurs? Let's just deploy our own 5G network and sell Freedom 5 SIM cards or whatever. And we just kill the service providers because that's, we can move faster, we're better and stuff like that. And first of all, we are going to launch our own SIM cards for people to use, I think is going to be a, a great way for people to like use the network that they deployed at home or let their neighbor use the network. But, and, and it's going to be a good way for us to actually test the cellular settlement service with minimal impact initially. But I think that the important thing to understand is it's silly to assume that it's possible to like blanket all of us with CBRS small cells It's just not possible. Like. The range and the power limits of CBRS are such that you cannot build like a standalone useful network using just CBRS small cells. The spectrum that the operators have paid billions of dollars for, there's a reason why they did it because it propagates much better. They can blast a 75 watt macro cell and cover half the city with band like 700 megahertz that goes through walls. There is no tomorrow <laughs> and you cannot beat this. You cannot like the number of small cell is just, it's not like economically viable to create like nationwide coverage with high throughput CBRS type small cells. And it's just never going to happen. So if we really want to find a way for this service to be like useful at the macro level, there is no way around marrying the network that we build to a licensed MNO. And the only way to do that is to spend cycles on like cellular settlement services and spend this never ending bureaucracy back and forth in meetings with the dish staff on how to do the integration and what the proper tap record exports are and stuff like that. It's either that, like either we succeed on that path or we'll build like a toy where we'll just have this like patchy coverage and in weird places. That's also interesting. I, there's a million things that <laughs> I want to re reply to there. But first of all, on your most recent point, I think everyone can relate to the fact that even though they're subscribed to this so-called so nationwide cell coverage, there's always gaps. There's always dead zones. You go into a subway, you visit at a relative's house, or you just go into your local yeah. grocery store and you're not getting a signal. So a uh, tremendous opportunity there. Abai, did you want to add something? Yeah, I think, you know, us, we, we need to meet them where they are too. We need to meet the networks that exist where they are. They know what their limitations are as well. They also know that they have limitations with the macro network that they're building. And that's where we come in. I know that the statement that we'll never build a, a CBRS network that will cover the entire country. I'm sure there'll be folks in the community. We'll take that as a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge accepted or whatever. I, I would love to see it, obviously, but I think he's being very practical about it, right? There is a there's a value in this network being aligned and, and built together. And there are things that our network and our the people of our community can do to really build up the the 
the tail of the coverage that's needed. I think that it's also economically un, you know, impossible for these large operators to build the coverage in every single spot. And they also are spending tons of money on real estate and tons of money on radios. And there are certain parts of certain cities that are just not still not being covered. Well. And ultimately, like it's not possible for them to do that kind of wide reach. And unfortunately, what it ends up being is underserved cities and underserved communities are the ones that usually suffer because they're also the ones that are paying the least for their cellular coverage. And I think that's really where our community can come in and help. And I, I would, I've always had the sort of dream of like building up the first small cell, like very dense small cell network and an underserved part of there's a, there's parts of Miami between the airport and like downtown that are just like not very well covered by cellular networks as much as the sort of coverage maps show that they are covered. They're just not very good and it'd be really awesome to see the helium community build up like that area or parts of the Bayview in San Francisco, or these are like wealthy cities that have parts of the cities that are just not very well covered. St. Louis is another great example, certain quadrants that are just not very well covered. So that's where we can come in. And once we provide carriers to, Hey, this coverage, we tell them, we show them with our map. That's actually one thing I wanted to bring up earlier with Boris's earlier point, which is we now have this overlay in, in Helium Explorer. Um, where you can adjust and show where all the current 5G small cells are. And that's static right now. It's based on manual extracts, and we want to make that automated, and Boris's team is going to make that automated for us. But we can show that to carriers and say, look, like here are communities that you want to serve because maybe the government is incentivizing you to serve and you can get that very easily by just connecting into the helium network and and that's where meeting them where they are and making sure they're integrated at the sort of from a data record perspective in, in a way that they understand already like that's work that's worthwhile for us that's correct and this is not to say like my previous comment is not to mean that it's useless it is useful to deploy a small cell network it is just i think naive to assume that you can completely replace an operator by deploying exclusively a CBRS small cell network in the you know, foreseeable future. But I think that generally speaking, like the telecom is bound to move towards this kind of a hybrid type network setup where part of the network is small cell networks operated by independent third parties. And the Helium blockchain is a perfect platform to make that happen because if you just follow the physics of it, there is more and more data that goes over the air interface. And more data means you need to build denser networks. That's just simply like you need to go into the higher frequency bands to carry more data. And higher frequency bands consequently, like they don't go for walls. And it's just how it works. And because if you don't go for walls, you need to have more, you know, small cells and you have to infill the network more places if you want to have good throughput, more places. And as you have denser networks, the problem of actually like a right of way or just literally getting like physical access to a place where you can put a small cell becomes more and more acute because all of the service provider networks, they're designed around the macro network concept where you have one tower. You have a 75 watt like macro cell from Ericsson that's blasting half the city and they can buy 10,000 towers and cover the US. But there is no way that you can go to every single coffee shop and get a permit to put in a cell, right? So this bottoms up movement to infill the network becomes instrumental. And over time, as more and more data goes into it, the network will move from like this macro, like we used to have before, where it's just a few towers to more and more small cell networks complementing it. 
And it's going to be a process that's going to take maybe a decade, maybe two decades. But I think that everything that we are doing is tracking in the right direction into the trend is just that don't expect that we'll build a standalone CBRS network in the next like three years and kill AT&T or something like that. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, one downside to everything being so centralized in the cellular world is that we don't exactly have the open data to see how and where things are growing. But I'm sure if we did have the data, we'd see that the macro cells in the urban areas, as you're saying, are totally oversaturated. And the data demand just keeps going up and up and up. Just think about your own Wi-Fi network. You get more and more devices connected to it each year. First your TV, then your toaster, then you know 30 smart plugs and there's just going to be an infinitely larger demand for data as time goes forward. And it feels like a wrong world to me to have all of that essential infrastructure under the grip of a few centralized providers right. where, speaking of underserved communities, people can't even add capacity to their own cellular networks in their own neighborhood, even if they want to. They have to right. ask Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile to come do it, which is a job that they literally don't want to do in certain areas because... They do the cost-benefit analysis, the ROI analysis, and it just doesn't work out for them. Right. And that just leaves everyone in a losing situation. Yeah, that is correct. And it's not even so much about like always ROI. It's sometimes just the very overhead of adding a cell because some Joe doesn't have connection. Just like filling out the paperwork and adding one node to the network, if you're a large carrier, is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they're not going to go through the bureaucracy of it unless they cover like a meaningfully large area like all at once so if you just need to add one cell or a few cells it's much better to do it in the bottoms up fashion and there's actually been efforts on the telecom space to kind of play into that in the past yeah it's really interesting to see how the effort is moving forward here although the incumbent carriers are slow there's also a lot of work to be done to bridge these providers into a decentralized world and that sort of goes back to some of the things you were both talking about earlier so one thing that I really want to help people understand is just like the level of work here. And it's so funny how directly you can compare what the Helium network is evolving into with 5G to some of the revolutions that are happening in finance with blockchains, right? In the traditional provider infrastructure where you have people roaming onto each other's networks, all these big corporations and small corporations making deals with one another through these centralized clearinghouses, it's you can't send money to uh, a company or a relative without going through a bank, which right. serves as the settlement <laughs> layer. And if you imagine a future where every single MVNO or partner has their own signing and their own private key, they could just sign the state channel and everything would be decentralized and trustless. But we're not in that world yet. We need to build towards that world. Yep. And a lot of the work that's being done is literally creating the bridge from the centralized world where there is a lot of inertia, a lot of sort of business as usual, things have been done the same for the past five to 10 years because the players haven't changed and the landscape has only grown with the same entities. That, that that inertia is very hard to overcome in a short amount of time with only a little bit of work. It seems like there is a lot to be done to bridge the centralized infrastructure over to the decentralized infrastructure. And then maybe having those parties come onto the decentralized infrastructure in a first party way, in their own way, is going to happen way down the line. That's really true. Before I spent my time on Helium, like I was spending my time in FedTechs. That's what I spent all the years before on. And like there were two options for us. It's either we either throw away the existing financial systems or try to bridge into the financial systems. And you could do both, but the problem with throwing everything away is that there is some advantage to the user experience, right? And one of the things that ca carriers do have 
things like customer service, has like billing, has has a, has a phone call, like somewhere to call, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if your phone's not working. But they have physical locations where you can buy a new phone, look at new phones. But these are all things that are, are valuable in some way, right? Like there are users out there that like, I'm, maybe I'm not the user that would do this, but like there are users out there that will just buy a phone on the internet without ever looking at it before. <laughs> we are maybe a little more like open to just buying the, the, the next Android phone or the next iPhone sight unseen because we, we're happy to be early adopters. But there are plenty of users out there who, who are not those early adopters. And it is important to bridge those people as well. So yeah, I think we have to do both. We have to both try to throw away the existing systems by creating brand new systems, but also like for the rest of the folks that are out there who aren't the early adopters, like I think we need to bring them along as well, right? These are the end users, not just the carriers. How do you bring along the end users that have never done anything in crypto before, right? I think Helium has made, we as a network have enabled more people to mine individually than, than any other network that I've ever seen. And that's that's incredible, right? Like we, we have over 200,000 wallets are actually mining right now. That's wild. Being able to mine from any kind of device that you have, we're just talking about 5G today, but like, why not Wi-Fi? Why not build your own CDN? If you're a wireless ISP, like wireless ISPs are actually a great example of, of like the beginnings of decentralization, in my opinion. You, you have these local... Uh, entities that build a small amount of radio infrastructure, they acquire customers in their area, and they they provide coverage that are an alternative to some of the larger centralized ISPs that are out there. So I think that one of the important things that probably people are wondering about is like, when are we going to be able to earn anything for the small cells that we bought and the gateways that we bought? And the main thing blocking us at this point to enable people to start earning, I think, are the hips. So the hip 51, hip 52, hip 53, which in certain form exist on GitHub and are being iteratively improved on. Out of the three hips that I mentioned, the hip 53, which is the one that defines what the 5G network would look like on Helium is the one where we've been investing our brain cycles into. One thing to think about, and then we'll produce like a new iteration of it shortly, is how do we, like, assuming that we all agree that to make this thing fly, to make it really scale near term, we do need the service providers and we need to partner with them. How do we make the hips such that they acknowledge it, that they acknowledge that the service provider is indeed an important entity and that there is a role to play for them and beyond simply giving them cheap data, which is definitely attractive, particularly if you're an MVNO, there is also some other differentiation that we as a network can offer. I've since, I think the, even like the initial version of like hip 37, which was like 27 long version have pushed for the network witnessing or mapping be this like part of the function that would make it rewarding for the service providers to jump in because historically on the Helium network, most of the rewards have been attributed to witnessing the network. And mm-hmm. we proposed a while back that in the cellular world, you can still do the same witnessing and even reuse a lot of the POC algorithm that Helium has proven in production, but have the witnessing function be performed 
by a separate cellular device. In the ideal world, that cellular device being a phone, but it can be maybe like a dedicated cellular device and have the rewards attributed to witnessing be in the purview of the service provider to choose what they want to do with them. They can go directly to the witnesser, they can go to subsidize the plan or somewhere in between the two. And I think that there's been a lot of conversations in like how to do that securely and what exactly should be the device. Can it be done just with a SIM? Can it be done with a phone? Should it be a dedicated device? And one of the things that I'm personally glad about as far as the transparency is concerned, right? Like the conversations that we've been having internally and with the Helium engineering team, that some of which may not have found their way all the way to the community is that we at this point are much closer in our understanding of how we want that to work and how like the witnessing and 5G POC will actually roll out onto the network. So maybe by you can share some of the thoughts on it. At the very least, like Echo, if I'm like, am I correct in this perception or is it just me? And what, if anything, you can share about it? Yeah. So I think the interesting thing about witnessing and proof of coverage um, in general, right? It's like, ultimately, proof of coverage is what drove a lot of people to buy hotspots, buy better antennas, upgrade their backhaul, put their hotspots on better locations, remove them from their countertop to the window to their roof, and like really work together with other hotspot owners to, to provide better coverage. That's that's really the that that that's really driven the the growth of the network. And I, as much as obviously when you align incentives to the actual action that you want people to, to take, good things happen. And then I, I really want to see the same thing happen with the 5G network, with the CBRS network specifically. I think that we need to, like, what is the kind of action we want here? With 5G in all cells in general, like you, you can't actually take advantage of the trick that we did with LoRaWAN where you have overlapping coverage. You have to actually have adjacent coverage. And so you can't really do the thing that we did with LoRaWAN where you actually had hotspot ping each other anymore. So in, instead, we actually do need to have another kind of device on the network. Like we need to have cell modems of different kinds. It could be a phone, as, as Boris said, or it could be uh, a dedicated witnessing device uh, as well. And then that's what we've been thinking about. But ultimately, it's that plus what's the action we want to see, right? If you have a small cell that's really meant for indoor use, like your range is going to be fairly limited. But if you have a larger, you know, panel antenna or, or whatever, I think, you know, you can potentially go up to two kilometers of range. If I'm getting that wrong. You can go more if you have an outdoor cell with a sector. You can right. definitely go further with line of sight conditions. Yeah, exactly. And and we want to encourage those kinds of conditions in the same way that I think HIP 17, although very complex, has really incentivized people to build different kind of layers of coverage and different types of coverage, you know, we want to see the same thing with 5G. And the way we do that is, is to actually introduce this data to the network. Now, I think the, the hard part for us is we don't exactly know what are the different kinds of things that we want to incentivize. The, the kinds of data that we can collect and, and use here is, you know, very different than Morrowind data. So we'll need some time to like actually design the system. That said, I think it's great for us to like really incentivize building of this network as soon as we can as well. And so like, how do we do that? I, I think we, we need to come up with the MVP or at least the minimum interesting product maybe for incentivizing 5G through proof of coverage. 
And that's what we're working on right now. I think the idea of using an, an eSIM and alignment with the carrier themselves, I think is really interesting. At the same time, knowing the phone's location, we know that it's possible to, if you play any Pokemon Go or any of those communities or the trucking community, which I'm maybe some somehow more uh, knowledgeable about, it's possible to fake your location and through even the phone's GPS. Or you can plug in kind of an external GPS that, that allows you to move yourself around. We can need to figure out like how do we secure a witnessing device and that's what we're actively working on right now what is the sort of device that would work for this is it a phone is it a sort of custom device and if it's a phone what kind of data can we get from it and how do we aggregate that data how do we cross-reference and verify that data or if it's a you know custom device how do we secure that device both physically and through software and how do we aggregate that data and, and how do we feed that back to the network and that's what we're actively working on what i hope to be able to share with the community is a, a roadmap around this and i think one thing that we've maybe done a, a poor job is to acknowledge that we do actually want to have proof of coverage for 5g i think there are folks in the community that have just assumed that you'll only earn for data transfer which is wrong i think it is necessary for us to have a proof of coverage system when do you think we'll have it when, when, my, when my, witnesser, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When witnesser, yes. When mapper or something. Yeah, I think one thing I'm, I'm happy to talk about here is that we, we have two potential hardware witnessers in the lab that we're building. And we're going to drive around the Bay Area trying to see. There, there is actually quite a bit of 5G coverage um, here in the Bay Area helium cells in the, in the Bay Area. So like we can actually drive around and see where they are, you know, and, and the kinds of data that we can collect are, can you actually attach to the cell? Can you actually transfer data on the cell? But the other thing that I think we also get is we get to map every other 5G cell that's out there, right? Not just ours. And like all those like carrier maps that are out there, we can almost verify them. And that's like that in its own, it's like its own kind of data product that the Helium community and the Helium mapping community can actually provide mm. is to say, yes, here's where actual coverage exists for Verizon towers or, or T-Mobile towers or other towers that are out there. I actually think that's really valuable. Today, a lot of the sort of verification of coverage is through self-attestation and by complaints that come to the FCC. And, and that's how these coverage maps get adjusted. I think we, we have a very active community who's ready, I, I believe, ready to go out there and actually start mapping these cells. And we can actually figure out like where, where actual cells are for all carriers. And I think that's something that I, I really would like to share with, with the world. So to summarize then, we are going to have 5G POC. Yep. There is a prototype dedicated mapper device that will validate coverage. That's right. That will soon be unraveled. Yeah. And, potentially. and I think the other part of this is like, we need to figure out what's the cost of this device, right? What are the components that are needed in there? Like, obviously you need an LTE modem, but one of the things that we're also thinking about is let's put a LoRaWAN chip in there too, and actually use this incredible LoRaWAN coverage for backhaul, but that increases the cost, right? So what is the cost of this thing going to be? What are the capabilities of this device? Should it have Wi-Fi on there? That's maybe a useful thing. If you're an Uber driver and you want to put one of these devices in your car, you might also want to provide like Wi-Fi service, or maybe this is something that Uber or, or, or Lyft might actually want to provide. It's say every Uber user, you also have Wi-Fi when you're in the car automatically because you have all these uh, helium Wi-Fi mappers, but also Wi-Fi hotspots sitting in the car. Like that's like an incredible thing that we could potentially have. So ultimately it's around what are the components? And then we need to start sharing these components list with hardware manufacturers and actually have them offer to build some of these things. I know there are a few manufacturers out there who are ready to work with us to try to figure out like what this device looks like. And you know, they can build it at scale, right? Helium, 
uh, or the, the Nova team built the first hotspot. We built about 15,000 of them. And then we gave up that design to the community and to a community of manufacturers to build the rest of the hundreds of thousands of them. We think we should take the same approach here where we allow any manufacturer to be able to build these things. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, certainly Helium 5G is the largest decentralized wireless network as of now. But yeah, there's just no one out there driving and mapping and verifying it. And of course, there are no rewards for the people who are hosting them. And I think if you add an incentive to this mapping or witnessing, it could be big as a lot of people on mappers.helium.com are mapping the LoRaWAN network completely for free just because they want to help right. and they love doing it. And I think I ran some population data uh, over that mappers sort of data set and it's like over 50 million population worth of coverage has been mapped. And that's like a very conservative estimate. So certainly there could be a lot of ground mm. covered, especially with incentives. What I'm wondering is a couple of things. So first of all, what happened to eSIM? Is eSIM still a candidate? Is it a lesser version of mapping where you already have the devices out there and you can give them some sort of small reward or is it just off the table at this point? And then also, what is like the the shortest time frame that we could see some type of 5G proof of coverage reward? So I can share my opinions on it and then Abai can yep. chime in as well. Yep. So I think that eSIM is not off the table. I think that eSIM should still be very much on the table. I think the best mapping device ultimately is a phone and price performance wise, we probably won't find anything that is like really better. The problem with the phone is there's a couple of problems. One is phones tend to be very locked down and you can't do much as to like how the phone behaves with respect to performing a function of a mapping device, unless a specific phone manufacturer with a blessing of a carrier allows you to change that behavior. So if you have a Samsung phone or an Apple phone, then the only way you can make it into an efficient mapper that you can instruct to like scan for the particular frequency band every so often is you have to be AT&T and you have to come to Apple and you have to tell them, I will buy a million of these phones and you have to like change the scanning behavior of that modem to behave exactly like that. There are some things, some like workarounds around that. If you have to, like, if you're building like a really efficient mapper, probably a dedicated device is better. Having said that, I think that in terms of the capabilities that you get in the phone, you will not really like beat with the uh, dedicated device. And more importantly, I think if you want the network to scale long-term, you want the phones to be like mapping because you'll have a lot of them. You can have actually subscribers mapping. You can subtract the cost of the cellular subscription, like whatever they've earned through the mapping. You can do a lot of creative things. So step one, I would say probably would be like a dedicated device. And step two, shortly thereafter, would be the phone. And probably the phone will earn less rewards initially than the dedicated device. But over time, as the network grows and we gain the scale required to maybe have certain subset of phone models that can behave just as good as a dedicated device, we'll be moving in that direction. So that's as far as like the mapping and 5GPOC devices are concerned. As far as the like when rewards, I think like on our side, from the standpoint of like the accounting and then like closing opening state channels, all of that stuff, I think should be ready in a month and a half. I would love to see progress 
like meaningful progress on the hips that would allow us to unlock rewards and have some sort of rewards start hitting people's wallets maybe like three months from now at most. I think that the pragmatic way to do it would be instead of just saying, hey, let's come up with this like perfect, super secure maximum rewards, like once in a lifetime, we build this architecture thing. We should stage how we roll these things. And particularly when it comes to hit 53, I think that it probably could be okay to keep certain components or certain like functions centralized living inside of DY or Nova or something like that at the, but like buy ourselves an opportunity to move fast. But my personal objective would be to like, given the community could be okay with that trade-off to have something available, like in a three months time frame. Worst case scenario. But then again, like I am not the ultimate dictator of the community wins. So we'll need people to approve the hips and vote, implement stuff and things like that. Yeah, I think I want to touch on a couple of things that Boris mentioned there. I'll start with the end bits actually first. I think I think Boris is right in that people need to understand that they can actually earn. And that, that's what we want to see. Earning for data transfer rewards is well within our sites, just as Boris mentioned. Right? That'll really start this flywheel that, that will drive people to, to build the coverage for 5G. As far as coverage rewards, I actually completely agree with Boris that the phone is ultimately the best mapper. It's also going to be the hardest to secure. To put maybe some numbers on it, if I remember correctly, like even the scan rate is something that unless you like flip airplane mode on and off and on and off, like you're only really scanning every six minutes for all the networks that are around. For an efficient mapper, you want to actually be scanning every 30 seconds as you're moving around. If you're driving around, for example, um, in an Uber or or if you're, even if you're biking around as a bike messenger, if you're like a DoorDash driver or something like that, or a rider, like you want to be scanning way more frequently, especially in like dense urban environments where you have a lot of macro cells, a lot of micro cells, and a lot of small cells. You're maybe going by a, a coffee shop at 10 miles an hour or whatever, but you want to be scanning really frequently and like being able to access the radio interface layer. Like that's something that only the manufacturer can do in coordination with the carrier in this case. Being able to do that in a custom device, as funny as it sounds, it's actually faster potentially to do it that way, unless we jailbreak a, a bunch of phones, which is actually an idea that Boris had, which I actually like still. <laughs> Can I just ship 100,000 phones to Boris's team and he just jailbreaks all of them? Like, we thought about it, actually. <laughs> it's a little illegal, but hey, you know, <laughs> but we'll like, do it. <laughs> we, we, it was on the table, like, yeah. for, a, for a hot minute. <laughs> And because we're trying to be as clever as possible with this stuff, we actually do want to see this in the world. And we've been talking to a few phone manufacturers in the last couple of months. There's a couple out there that may be open to get, giving us access to this kind of stuff. And, you know, we'd love to continue to work with other manufacturers out there. If any of them are listening, send Exist me a DM. Within the helium manufacturer community, <laughs> right, by the way, right. I was surprised to learn that some of the people that make like hotspots uh -huh. today. They also make phones. We're totally down to working with you guys to build an efficient mapper. And if you want uh, a community of very interested HNT miners to buy your phone, this is a great way to do it. <laughs> I think I think that's like ultimately, and like that's ultimately what the hardware device is that we're thinking about. Like we're effectively building a phone. And this is like to, to Boris's other point, which is supply chains for phones actually have been figured out, right? Like we are producing so many phones every single year. And, and like, how do you 
build them? Like, how do you get all the components for them? How do you package them? All the industrial design for them, the antenna, like the antenna design itself is a very good thing, right? Like we don't want to start this from scratch if, if we can avoid it. I, I guarantee you that the, the mapper device that we're building right now has the worst antenna design. Why? Because it's the first time we've ever built one of these things. And I believe that phone manufacturers have a much better head start on this stuff. So I actually do agree completely that phones are the best mapper if we can figure out the security around it and figure out like the scale around it. And that's really, I, I would be excited to, to see a, a phone that can be a mapper. But in the meantime, we need something. I think we, the community wants something sooner. And so that's why we'll build a custom device. I just wanted to also talk a little bit about the work we're doing on the hips, which are important for the rewards to come online, particularly for the like 5 GPOC rewards. And maybe this could be an interesting opportunity to have an open conversation about it. So if anybody was able to read through like hip 51 or hip 53, that's like a lot of stuff in there. And that also translates to a considerable amount of like work that will need to be done by various engineering teams and the community and stuff like that. And one thing that I've always been struggling with, and that's kind of an understandable, I think issue is like. On one hand, you don't want people just like riding hips and then, you know, throwing them up for, unless they've put in some effort into it. So ideally you want to have a hip that comes with a code. So you want to build the hip and then have the like community vote on it. But in case of hip 51, like 52, 53, the first iterations of them, no matter what shape they will take, there'll be a lot of work to implement. So on the other side, I'm like concerned that if we build a lot of that stuff and the community votes on it, they'll end up changing like what, what they're about and everything that we've built will need to be like thrown away or like redone. So I'm wondering as somebody who is like newish at this point to the blockchain improvement processes, how do you find the right balance on the one hand, like we want to make progress on them. On the other hand, we want to put that progress to be reflected, not just on paper, but have some code to back it. We also don't want to throw away the code that will, if a community says, oh, you know what? We don't want POC for 5G. That's like a rug pull, screw that. Lower rewards are getting screwed, stuff like this. And like, ah, oh, okay, we spent two years engineering. Let's throw all of that work out. So how do you balance? I think it's a hard question. We have these proposals, HIP 51 through 53, and they're like by no means small changes, they're sweeping changes. And the code that comes with them, I think, is implicitly written by Nova Labs. I don't really see any outside contributors coming in and putting any work on transitioning to a new blockchain or like specking out the layer two. It just wouldn't make sense given that Nova has been the organization to do all of that so far. And it's such a drastic change it'd probably just add friction for too many outside contributors to be working on that or, or too many community changes to be put in. But certainly, I think we're at a very hard transition point, right? A lot of the things we want to do will be much easier after HIP 51, 52, and 53 because we will have built a newer, more flexible architecture. But at the same time, if we have urgency to get certain things done, like 5G data credit rewards, and 5G POC, you want to do it sooner rather than later. And maybe you don't necessarily want to wait for HIP 51 through 53 for all of those things. 
So I definitely love to hear a buy comment on that. What things can we do before those big changes come in? I would assume we could do data credits because we already have state channels and HIP 27 passed. It should be implemented, right? It is implemented on testnet from what mm -hmm. I understand. What can and can't we feasibly do before switching up the whole architecture here? So I, I think we you're right that we can absolutely do data credit or data transfer rewards for 5G today, right? So in, in that, if all the infrastructure for the cellular sediment service existed, if there was an entity that was responsible for opening and closing the state channels using that, that, that open source repo, that's going to be the settlement service that could happen today on the, on our chain. So that's an easy one. The, the proof of coverage stuff, it really depends on how we implement it. And the hip 51 proposes this idea of each network having its own token. If we wanted its own token, I, I think it actually becomes fairly complex to build all of the sub DAO protocol score, multiple token stuff on the existing chain. We need to start imagining what it would mean to have an, an, another chain or sort of a meta chain that's responsible for the coordination layer between all these different networks. And that's something that what we're doing as a team, and I actually want to publish this fairly soon, is we're building kind of a prototype chain, which sounds a little weird, like we're a blockchain company, we're going to build another blockchain. Uh, but like what we want to really build is and, and show the community is like, here's like the data flow and the technical, like a functional spec. And we're writing it in Erlang because that's what we're really fast at. Like we're most familiar with it. Obviously other languages are also options, but we understand the primitives really well. So we're writing essentially like, what is HNTV2 look like? And what have all these subnetworks look like? And how does protocol score work? And how do hotspots get onboarded? And how do validators get staked? And all those things, like we're building in a single threaded process as a functional spec. And something that you mentioned there, which is what the presumption is that Nova Labs would build all of it. I actually want to try to break that. I would love for certain parts of this to be broken apart. There's no reason why the programmatic treasury needs to be written by us. You can imagine a AMM team could build this as well. Thinking about like someone like the Sabre team or Orca team on Solana or the Uniswap team or someone who's really familiar with the Uniswap or, or uh, SushiSwap frameworks in Ethereum or the equivalents in some of the Ethereum layer twos. Like I, I believe that any of these teams have the expertise to build what the programmatic treasury is, which is like ultimately it's a, a guaranteed bid for if you have a, a, a DNT and you want to redeem for an HNT, like here's a system that will guarantee bid, give you a bid price. That's something that any of these kind of AMM teams can, can actually build. And I want to be able to like say that, like, and, and I am saying that now publicly, I, I want other teams to come and build with us. And if we build the sort of technical spec and the data flow, like kind of implementation, let's have that decentralized implementation come from another team. That's not necessarily the Nova team. And at the same time, if there's a team out there that's looking for even all the way down to like funding, like I know for a fact that the Helium Foundation will provide a grant for something like this. And I can say that not as a member of the foundation, but just knowing that they are like willing to invest in this ecosystem, like they are ready to do it. And if there's a technical spec that's out there and there's a team out there that's willing to build to that spec and work with the Nova Labs team and the Fruit and Fi team and, and any other teams that are out there, I think we will. So that's what I want to see. And I think the same thing with 5G POC, we have some ideas around it that you have to build in the open. And that's something that I want to actually happen. I want teams to be able to have kind of public channels, even on our Discord server. This is actually something that the Nova team is going to be doing. And hopefully by the time this podcast is out, like we'll actually have this implemented is we're going to have a blockchain channel and a testnet channel and a, and a router console channel that's, you know, 
primarily is staffed by the core devs. And this is what we would consider internal channels in the past. And we'll just build in the open. A lot of other communities have this. They have these read-only channels where the entire community can see the core devs working, but they can't necessarily write to the channels because it would be fairly noisy. But at least they can see the work that's being done. And I want to see that happen, like maybe a programmatic treasury channel, like where this is being built in the open, maybe a 5G POC channel where this is being built in the open. And maybe if building the sort of core components of the chain, like we need to be, we need to rebuild it. There's a specific like new chain, new blockchain channel or something like that for those particular actions that need to be happening or the coordination layer between all this. So that's something that I want to see in our community. And I, I like, we will kickstart those things. Yeah, that's great. Openness is going to be key going forward, especially for outside contributors to come in. I think they're going to want to see what's going on so they can hop in and make themselves useful at the right place in the right time. So I think having those engineering channels read only and public uh, and maybe write access for core contributors is going to be a game changer. And I'm super excited to um, see them come up. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. Obviously, we want as many core contributors as possible. I agree with the direction that you're heading in. I think I'm just trying to be a realist and understand what timelines could realistically exist for something like 5G POC, because it's not going to be a quick thing to transition to a new chain, especially if you're talking about prototyping a new chain. I know that there's so much that goes into that. It's going to be very hard to get it ready in two or three months and get it stable into mainnet unless there's some sort of trick you have up your sleeves. I think what's going to be important is that when we when you publish this technical spec of what we believe is achievable with HIP51, at that point, it's we need to start implementing this you know, ourselves. And we want to see contributors from other platforms maybe building something like it as well. I think it'd be great to like for the community to actually have choice. And that's like maybe part of the HIP51 vote ultimately is this choice. And ultimately, like, we'll have to make the right decision. The token vote will have to carry, right, for what's the right decision is for this community. I, I suspect there'll be a lot of influence that the chain gang, that the core blockchain engineers will probably have a lot of opinions on what probably the right direction is. And I'm sure the community will appreciate that perspective when they vote on their decision. I think kind of going back to 5GPOC, though, if we were to implement this on the current chain, even if it was a centralized form, like, ultimately, like, it creates more inertia. And what about when we're ready for network number three or network number four or no network number seven? Like at what point do we like rip the bandaid off and go, right? With the thing that's way more scalable. It's it's harder the more networks are bound to a single, the, the current implementation. And I think the the delay might be worth it. And, and I, I hope that's something that the community kind of considers is waiting a few months for better implementation the right thing? Or should we be pushing directly to incentivizing 5G POC? And I, I actually do want to hear the feedback from the community about that. And I'd love to hear about it in, the, in Discord and on Twitter and other channels. I think a lot of the feedback I'm hearing is that people do want 5G POC as soon as possible, obviously. That's what motivates everyone to, to, as you said earlier in the very beginning, to put out their hotspots and participate in the network. The sooner is better. And I think it's hard. Most people are not engineers. They're not expected to have a deep understanding of technical debt or what type of inertia you build when you make a halfway implementation. I think they're mostly concerned with how they can participate in the project and, you know, for better, for worse, what they can earn. And I think it's hard for, for us engineers to communicate and provide a clear outline that people can digest and understand what the trade-offs are between making a, like a halfway decision and a full commit decision with the halfway being like some version of 5G POC on the current chain and a full commit being just waiting until there's a new chain that's more scalable to 
implement these things. And I guess my initial reaction as both an engineer and a community member who really wants to see 5G built out more is what could we do that's a more in-between implementation where we have some, even if it's a very temporary form of 5G POC, even if you have to do something really scrappy in the code that says, if hotspot manufacturer equals Freedom Fi, <laughs> increase rewards 100% or something like that. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That's of course, not exactly yeah. that. But you get my point. Like yeah. seeding some sort of reward for 5G POC, no matter how scrappy it is, just to get people deploying their nodes and earning something meaningful from them, could that be done? Is there a version of that sort of halfway implementation that doesn't necessarily create too much technical debt that will need to be paid off in the future? Yeah, and unraveling that technical debt is definitely you know something that's on my mind. I think one of the things that Boris mentioned was around centralization. And maybe there's a centralized form of rewards that we could actually have. We already have this notion of oracles today for HNT to, to data credit conversion price. Could a version of sort of oracling reward, like rewards units for 5G, would that be acceptable for the community? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that, that we should actually propose. And that would certainly get 5G POC faster. It would potentially reduce the technical debt because it would only be like a new kind of rewards type a centralized actor that needs to oracle some data into the chain and a somewhat minor increase in rewards computation. If the community would be open to something like that, I think it could be proposed as a halfway point. I think it's great. I'm personally not a decentralization maximalist. And what I mean by that is obviously we want to be as decentralized as possible in the long term, but the whole inherent project of Helium is a long game about taking centralized systems into a decentralized world. And it was that way with LoRaWAN, with Helium Inc. manufacturing all the hotspots in the beginning. It's going to be that way for years with 5G, with inherently centralized parts of the infrastructure that are not going to practically be decentralized for years, like the cellular core infrastructure, Magma, all the stuff that goes into that. Making a decentralized version of that is going to be crazy. And, and we already have aspects of on-chain signatures, which are centralized, essentially. You have the nine oracles and you have the deny list signers, both of which the community has voted greatly in favor of because they just make the project better overall. And so if we had some sort of oracle that calculates 5G POC rewards and has maybe a multi-sig or a centralized server that Helium Foundation has, if I were to guess, if that were put to a vote, I think it would pass with flying colors because people more than anything really want to see the network built. I think that strongly aligns with every HNT holder, with every participant in the network who just wants to see this network succeed, is that we need to build this thing as fast as possible. We need to show the carriers that we mean business to get the big fish swimming in the same pond as us. And once we're there, the network effect we will have built will be tremendous and more unstoppable than ever. But the slower we get there, I think, the harder it is for some people to continue justifying their patience. Well said. Yep. I have nothing more to add. <laughs> All right. I, when we publish this, I'm ready to hear it as well from, from more than just the three of us. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the proposal. And I, I guess, Abide, the, the community proposal that you're talking about with a centralized signer or a centralized oracle, or maybe even just a server calculating 5G POC rewards, is that something that you've seen a draft of from a community member? Or is that something that you'd like to see some community members pull together and propose as soon as they can create a polished version. And then the follow-up question is, would Nova Labs 
and the Helium Foundation be willing uh, to contribute a little coding resources to it. I know hips are supposed to be supported with code, but we're just in this weird place where there's not not a lot of people who know Erlang that well uh, and know the code base that well, and we really need to iterate fast on some of these things. Yeah, on the does this hip exist? We have bits of this hip already written down. In my mind, it's uh, we needed the other side of what do you do with this actual mapper. And so I think we are ready to write this hip for the community. Obviously, the concern around centralization uh, or eventual decentralization is something that we want to address in it. And, and we want to be very open about that. As far as will we write the code? Yes, we'll also write the code for it. I think if the community is open to us being this trusted entity, and I think one of the things about about centralizing this thing is that I think that there should be something at stake. Like I think oracles actually should have something at stake as well. And I think we will certainly put both our time and our our agent and be very open about like you know, how do we ensure that we are like sort of showing our work. And I think that's something that we want to do. And then of course each one of these like kind of mappers that are out there, we should also be allowed to turn them off if we feel like something is doing in the same way with the dialysis. If someone's doing the wrong thing, we should be able to turn them off as well. And that should be something that like is is granted as part of the Oracle's responsibility. I think the refreshing thing I always like to remind myself is that Web2 tech still exists. All of this is, it's very achievable, like with a Node.js server with a Postgres QL database and a couple of trusted private keys, maybe signing some things that are then put into a centralized database, create a little API around it that anyone can pull the 5G POC rewards or whatever. This is all totally within the realm of technical possibility and could be done by one or two developers that don't know anything about Erlang or blockchains. It's good to remind ourselves that the original layer two is just a database that you connect (laughs) to with an API and it could still be done. That could still be plugged into Helium just as we have the deny list, which is kind of like GitHub is the layer two. And then there's some signers and then you put that data somewhere and it's all verifiable. Architecturally, it's like pretty straightforward. So it um, it doesn't need to be written in Erlang either. It can be written in Rust or Ruby or whatever. In the cellular world, you already have that problem solved in the form of VSIM-based authentication, which has, you know, what now, like two and a half or almost like three decades of security polish. So as long as we are willing to keep thing like the HSS centralized, which is where you would authenticate the SIM cards connecting to via cells that are being witnessed effectively, it's going to be pretty robust secure implementation of POC. Granted, we'll be limited to only knowing whether or not the attach event has happened. And there is different gameability vectors around like additional data that one would supplement into there, like for instance, the GPS reading, but like purely like attach events, we already today have, I would argue, like a very secure way of confirming or otherwise assuming that we are okay with keeping a centralized HSS, which I don't think there is like even a, a way around it realistically at this point anyway. That's a lot of tech to already have up front. If we think about the original spirit of how the Helium network was deployed on the LoRaWAN side, I remember before even LoRaWAN when we were long five, there was absolutely no checks on anything. It was just like, let's get this thing the hell out there and let's build it. And I don't even think I can count on two hands like how many severe proof of coverage exploits have been patched, but it was the right thing to do to move fast and to basically have those exploits out there. To move knowing that there could be vulnerabilities just in order to grow as fast as possible, I think is the original spirit of how the Helium network was launched. And if we can get what you're saying, which is 
We have even stricter guarantees that have been tested for many years in production. Even if those guarantees aren't perfect, it sounds like that's an amazing place to start. And my only question would be, where are the API docs? The <laughs> API docs? <laughs> like, how can we start implementing this as soon as possible, basically? Yeah, it's just basically, it boils down to us defining the act of witnessing on the network as like a, a device attaching to a cell. And if we are right. okay with having any type of rewards attached to that type of witnessing, like we have everything we need to move forward, even without the dedicated witnessing device, which can then later add additional layer of usefulness to witnessing and that you can securely supplement witnessing with the GPS data and the neighbor cell scan data and other things that will be very good for growing the network. I'll say on the behalf of many people I've talked to, let's try to do that if possible. And I'm, I'm happy to try to lead any effort to make that happen and try to get involved. But I think the time is, is sooner rather than later to get the earnings flowing for 5G proof of coverage. We've got the largest decentralized 5G network, even though they're not earning anything, we've got thousands of devices out there. And I want Helium being the largest 5G network to, you know, stay that way. I agree. And it will stay that way. Uh, Bai and I so, will make sure of it. We, we will drive it and, and this community will make sure of it. I think that's a better way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That being said, I think that there are enough, like, really serious enthusiasts in this community that that Helium always will be the largest 5G network as is evidenced right now. There are no rewards, but it's still the largest. But obviously we don't want it to have to be that way. We want people to be rewarded for their hard work and their deployments. People are doing some really crazy deployments out there. And I saw FreedomFi is now offering outdoor bundles. We can get some even nicer outdoor deployments going on that will cover even more area. That's right. Excellent. This has been amazing. I really appreciate both of you coming and taking the time to talk about this. I'm hoping the community is going to get some great insights out of what you said. I know I certainly did, and I'm sure there will be many more questions to come. If there is, I'll bug you guys to schedule a second part of this and answer some of the community's questions. But it's good to know that the ball is rolling. I think my takeaway from this chat is that there is a lot going on. Everyone's in full-on experimentation, testing, development, and research mode right now. Everything is being tried and there is room for community contribution as well when it comes to some of the uh, software stuff. I know the hardware stuff is a little bit harder to get the community in on exactly because it's very, like it inherently needs to be centralized, working with literal manufacturers and hardware designs and whatnot. But love to see more people get involved in developing this stuff. What I want to say to the community is that we've talked a lot about centralization and decentralization in this episode. And no matter what, Everything is leading towards decentralization, right? That's what this project is all about. And I think one of the most important things to get right is how quickly we do that. Because there are a lot of advantages to taking centralized steps on the road to decentralization. And especially when it comes to 5G, there are many necessary parts that need to be centralized. There's just simply no way to, for example, get these carriers to do their own private key signing, helium state channels, buying HNT and burning them for data credits. There's 50 reasons why that just can't happen. We all need to be conscious of what is the right level of centralization and decentralization at, at the right time, while also keeping in mind that the goal for all of us is to, in the end, create the most decentralized thing possible, because that's what will really end up being the new generation of how we 
deploy and economically incentivize wireless networks. We just got to make the right decisions on the way <laughs> to get to that final place, which is going to be a many years long road. But I hope that as many of you are along for the ride on as long term uh, a time frame as I am and as Boris is and as Abai is and as so many amazing community members in Helium are. And yeah, just patience is key, guys. Patience is key. But thanks to Abai and Boris and their teams who are doing all of this painstaking work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of your work being done out in public so we can see what's going on behind the curtain. And hopefully some more contributors will be encouraged by that to contribute their code, their time, and their resources towards uh, strengthening the Helium network. Awesome. Thanks so much, Armin. Yeah, I really appreciate you having this sort of venue for us to talk about this kind of stuff. It's great to talk about it in the open, and we really do want to do more of that. I think we, we've been so heads down, and I think it's it's time to, to engage with the community way more, at least show our work more. Amazing. Really looking forward to it, and hopefully we'll have more open discussions like this in the near future. Cheers, Armin. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the hotspot. If you love our content, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network.